Am I Reister or am I wrong? With my main man, as usual, Ralph Amsden. Jam-packed show for you guys today. Ted Cruz flees Texas while the state was in crisis. Was he going to do anything anyway? Rush Limbaugh dies. And can we acknowledge his impact without acknowledging his politics? And of course, on every show, the best of social media and to college basketball. Did Jalen Johnson quit by leaving Duke? Because people have said that, and I think it's lame. Fernando Tatis agrees to a 14-year, $340 million extension with the Padres. Was it too much too soon? Am I right, sir, or am I wrong? Is the intersection where sports, business, society, and pop culture meet the truth? Monday, Wednesday, Friday, fire. Facts only. Make sure you check your feelings at the door because no BS is allowed. We keep it 100. We have difficult conversations because they need to be had. Um, you guys, make sure that you guys shoot us an email. I'm Matt. I-M-M-A-D at unafraidshow.com. You guys, make sure that you subscribe, tell a friend, and you can also listen to us on the Pac-12 Apostles podcast and me on Fox Sports Radio Sundays, 2 to 5 p.m. Pacific, and of course on Mad Dog Sports Radio Monday through Friday, 10 p.m. Pacific, 1 a.m. Eastern Time. And of course, make sure that you share the podcast with a friend. Um, so I guess we'll start at the beginning, Ralph. The the people of Texas. So we started talking last week about Texas and them suffering and you know their their deep freeze that they were unprepared for. And I was talking to a friend earlier today that lives down there, and he was like, the thing that he hates is how political that this thing has turned. You know, that it's turned into, oh, is it 10% of the grid on that green energy and renewable energy? Is it 25%? Those are the people that failed us. No, it's the privatization. It's, But in reality, this was a fixable problem because of what happened in Texas, happened in Colorado. People would not have missed work. True. I suppose it, there, there are, we, we do have to get to a point where we recognize that sometimes there are anomalies, right? I mean, we can't just always immediately look for someone to blame when a weather event comes in. Like, yeah, but I, you knew it. I mean, it, it, it's like the pandemic. People knew it was coming. Like years ago, they've been talking about a potential pandemic for, you know, for four or five years. Yeah, I just what 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 was anybody in Texas gonna do to keep people's roofs from caving in under the weight of unmelted snow? Like I understand the power issues, the internet issues. The I water. understand yeah, I understand a lot of politicians getting caught having made fun of California and getting caught in moments of hypocrisy and everything like that. But at the end of the day, the thing to blame is that the they had an extreme, extreme weather event. And it, how much time, you, you have to ask yourself practically, how much time should you spend preparing for a day that may never come, right? And so that's a, um, I don't know, I, I've been very uncomfortable the last few days just watching people look for somebody to blame. 
while at the same time, I do think accountability is important. Some yeah, things come along. Somebody, if some of these things were preventable and they told you this, like, and the, and this was told to them, yo, if, if there's a, a, you know, a cold front that comes through an extreme weather event, I mean, this can happen. So if, if you are a, you know, and, and the fact that they were supposed to have these rolling blackouts, 20 minutes on, 40 minutes off, that didn't happen. People not getting water, it being shut off to certain areas. That's a problem. So, yes, there, there it is a, an extreme weather event. But there are people to blame for it when, like, it, it's different. If you, if you have an earthquake, right, then, yes, it's an earthquake. It's going to d- destroy things. But... If there was retrofitting that was that people were told needed to be done and they don't do it, the earthquake still happened. But you knew prior to it that you needed to do something to prepare for something that could potentially happen, not just some random outlier event. Yeah, I'm I'm not I'm you're not wrong. You're not wrong. I just I feel like I feel like. Fences get tested, right? Like this is the whole Jurassic Park thing. They're testing the fence. Fences get tested, and if they fail, then you have to adapt. You have to adjust. You have to move on, and you have to find the right thing to do. I would just hope that people are putting more energy into being open-minded and solutions-oriented than they are trying to put their thumb down on whoever or whatever group did things the wrong way. I see a lot of people just blaming this um, it sort of in a, in a blanket uh, statement, blaming it on a Republican legislature and a Republican governor and Republican senators and everything like that. And I, I, I'm not necessarily sure it's that cut and dry, you know, yeah, but doesn't it come to though? Cause I don't like though, when people, when they do this whole, Oh, it's because of the Democrats. Oh, it's because of the Republicans. No, that that's not the answer. The issue is, is that you have a bunch of people in politics not doing what's best for the people who freaking voted for them. And that's the issue, is that a party becomes greater than doing what's right for the people who voted for you. And yeah. that's my issue. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I, well, I'm experiencing that where I live right now. There was a, um, I think Arizona voted to legalize marijuana. I think it was yeah. already legal medicinally, and and then Arizona had a, a prop vote, and they ended up passing it. And the city where I live um, is is filled with a lot of people who are either currently serving or ex-military, and then a lot of retirees. Um, and what's interesting is our city council got together and they overruled the prop vote by six to one saying that you couldn't actually open a dispensary anywhere in the entire city. And that if you were growing it at home, then you, then it had to be um, that basically you, the smell cannot emanate from your house. The smell is illegal. So the city council came in and overruled the vote of the people. Exactly. Six to one. And I look at stuff like that and I say, yeah, like the, the, we're supposed to be a constitutional republic. We're supposed to have democratic principles. 
and and the people who we elect to represent us are supposed to represent the interests, especially when you know there, there's a popular vote there. Um, but I don't necessarily know if it fits when you talk about the whole state of Texas. I don't know if 20 million Texans were clamoring for um, power grid reform. I think no a lot way. of them are learning the lesson along with the politicians of Texas. And my hope is that things would be things will be done differently because it, this isn't the first major weather event that Texas, I have a cousin who lives in Houston. She has not had power for the last couple of days and they just got done also living through a massive flood and there's going to be flooding when this ice melts too. And but so that's the it, point, right? Is that, is that if you're not prepared for it, I mean, and then, but then they'll say, Oh, it won't happen again, or it won't happen while I'm still in office. That's how a lot of this happens. And then that leads us down to Ted Cruz. So Ted Cruz, he abandoned the ship. The Titanic was sinking and Ted Cruz was took the first freaking lifeboat out. He decides that he's going to fly down to Cancun. Well, no, no, I'm sorry. Cabo, right? Cancun. Okay. Cancun, you yeah. had it right. Yeah. Yeah. Cancun with his family. And we thought it was just his family, but turns out his family invited other people. So, but he goes down there and mind you, I am a person in all truth and transparency. I do not respect Ted, Ted Cruz. Even before we get to the politics, right? Before we even get to the politics as a man, I do not respect Ted Cruz. At the point in time that you let a man disrespect your wife, your father, not freaking apologize, just, and, and then you go back and kiss the ring. I, I got nothing for you. I have literally have nothing for you. It would be different if Donald Trump had came out and apologized like, yo, I shouldn't have said that. I said it publicly. This was rude. My bad. Then even then we can't be back like we were, but we can get somewhere. But the fact that he let that ride, hell no, just no respect. But then this, on top of this, bailing in the middle of a crisis, you are an elected official. You can send your, I'm not, I have no problem with him sending his family out of the way because it, you, you should get your family safe if you can. But when you are supposed to be one of the captains, you have to be one of the last people to get on the life raft. I've got to be honest, I spent the majority of yesterday, probably up till about 5, 6 p.m., trying to convince my wife that this was, not that it wasn't a big deal, but that I would rather every news station in the country quit putting all of their focus into what Ted Cruz was doing and put their focus into practical ways that we can help the citizens of Texas because Ted Cruz wasn't doing that. I made it until yeah, about- you supposed to ignore it, though? Okay. Okay. So I made it until about 6 p.m. <laughs> and that's when I saw his statement that he was just trying to be a good dad. He had said, like, I was coming back right away. And then, and then they leaked that he had rebooked the ticket. First of all, everybody's snitching on this dude. Yeah. Everybody. <laughs> like, literally everyone. Like, they're, they're, his wife's group chat is ruined because people just can't wait to snitch on him. But when it came out that he was lying... Um, that's when it, that's when it turned for me. That's when I was like, all right, all this negative attention just can just go ahead, rain down on his head. Cause it's not the crime. It's always the cover up. 
The cover up is always the thing that, that, that makes things 10 times worse. So, you know, for him to lie about his intent, that was a lot. And then, but then the other side of it is I know who Ted Cruz is as a man. Ted Cruz's only goal in life is for you to be thinking about Ted Cruz. He doesn't care if it's positive. He doesn't care if it's negative. When people called Heidi ugly, when people said uh, that when people supported Donald Trump putting out there that uh, that his dad helped kill JFK, Ted Cruz enjoyed the publicity. And so that that's the other part of me is like even us talking about it right now, because what did he do when he got back stateside? Did he get to work like Beto, like AOC, like all of these other people in Texas, including a bunch of conservatives who were looking for practical solutions to try to help people on the ground? No, he went on like eight different shows on Fox News and held a press conference. All he cares about is that we're saying his name. That's it. Yeah, here is his big because originally the dude said, oh, yeah, I was going down. I was going to be a great father. Like he was trying to be the victim and the hero in the middle of his own story. And the idea that he's going to take his daughters down to Cabo. The dude had more than an overnight bag, like than just a go bag. And he rebooked the flight the next day because he was shamed. And yeah. And And he's not the only one. I mean, we've seen people with these lapses in judgment, the mayor of Austin. The mayor of Austin did the same thing a little while back. Uh, We saw Gavin Newsom's dinner party. We saw Nancy Pelosi's uh, trip to the, to the beautician. Like we, we we keep seeing all these things and it's like, all right, like who is going to be the first one to learn the lesson that when you are elected to lead and serve, you have to do so by example. And, uh, and you know, Ted Cruz is never going to be that guy. Um, But it, you do just get to the point where you wonder it, is this on us for just continuing to elect people um, that we know aren't, aren't necessarily serving the greater good. And the funniest thing is so many people were, (laughs) so many people were like, yeah, well, what's a Senator going to do to help all of us anyway. Right. And, and what what I want people to understand is Ted Cruz wasn't going to help us anyway. Isn't that that's also not helpful. You, and you have, (laughs) You have concrete examples of other people involved in government who don't have anything to do with Texas or like Beto O'Rourke who didn't get elected in Texas doing practical things to try to help the citizens on the ground. So that goes to show you right then and there, there are things that can be done going to Cancun. I don't think helps anybody. Exactly, dude. Exactly. And here is what Ted Cruz had to say whether the decision uh, to go was tone deaf. Look, it, it was obviously a mistake, and in hindsight, I, I wouldn't have done it. Um, I was trying to be a dad, and, and all of us have made decisions. When you've got two girls who have been cold for two, two days and haven't had heat or power, and they're saying, hey, look, we don't have school. Why don't we go? Let's get out of here. Okay. React to that, Ralph. He still is on the freaking daughter thing. But here is the other part of this. So everybody was like, there were some people like, okay, I get it as a dad. But then no, no, you, you lied. You lied. That's the problem. It's the lie is the problem. What, what he did would have been, if he had just come back and be like, yo, I messed up, dude. I was trying to get a, get, get away. This was stupid. I was, it, it wasn't the right, right move. 
But to try to throw your daughters under the bus while trying to be a hero. But then this comes out. This comes out right here. And what was your reaction to? And these are the text messages. How many people are in this group chat, Ralph? Um, It looks like about a dozen, maybe. Yeah, so you got a dozen people on a group chat with Ted Cruz's wife where she's inviting them to... Um, she's inviting them to go to Cancun with them. There is what a um $309 a night for the Ritz Carlton, which is super cheap. Like, I'm like, maybe, maybe I need to jump on board that one, buddy. Cause <laughs> I'm just like, come on, come on, man. Like, absolutely, come on. Like, th- this was a disaster of epic proportions. For him, but my question is, do you think that people will remember it? What do you mean? Like wh- when he comes up for re-election? In six years, yeah. Well, five years. It depends because then if you're if you're a conservative and you're a conservative no matter what, somebody would have to primary him, and it's not usual to get primaried from the center. If someone's gonna come along, it's usually gonna be from the outskirts trying to put someone more passionate, someone trying to pull you further to the right. But if Ted Cruz, he's gets already a white, a right wing, um, like there's a difference. Cause I was talking to my father-in-law about this, where we were talking about being a conservative versus conservative. And I just thought that being a cons that there's a difference because me, me and you said that we are conservative. But being a conservative has been hijacked by by kind of right wing extremists who aren't, you know, where like you can say Mitt Romney is a conservative, but he's like, I'm not going I'm not laying in bed and throwing in like I still have some dignity and honor to say I want to do what's best for the people. Yeah, the ter- the terms are getting so weird because if you just broke it down to like the individual meaning of the word, like and you ask somebody like me, like, "Hey, do you want to conserve the 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 intent or the expanded intent of the Bill of Rights and the amendments and things like free speech and the right to uh bear arms and the right to assemble?" Um, and then the weird amendments, like you don't have to let a soldier sleep in your house. And I would say like, yeah, we need to, uh, yeah, we need to conserve those. And then somebody could say like, Hey, do you want to see progress in making sure that these amendments apply to everybody, um, with, with the, the, the level of equality that we've come to understand as a country is necessary for all people and not just a certain type of people and a certain type of gender, and I would say, like, absolutely. Like, yeah, I want to see progress to make sure that these amendments um, apply to everybody. And, you know, and in doing those two things, are you conservative or are you progressive? And I would say that, George, I think the thing is, me and you, we share values with people who claim conservatism as their political ideology. But I'm not sure that you and I, at, at, at this point, when when it's becoming so tempting to define yourself by one thing or another, um, and people are trying to clearly outline what it means to be a conservative, I don't think I can get in that pool. Exactly. I just don't. I I, I think you have to be able to um, 
to kind of define these things for yourself. And I, that's not to say I don't respect people who are all sold out for a political ideology or a political party. That just doesn't, it just doesn't work for me because it can change so quick. If you just look at the last four years, the conservative party was one of free trade and it immediately, immediately on a dime turned and pivoted to being something completely different of wanting to completely rework the way that we've thought about free trade, wanting to institute tariffs and things like that. And those, those were things I said, like, okay, as somebody who is a a registered Republican at that point, I I don't support these things, but then it was like, well, you have to, if you want to stay in the tent. So the tent moves and I'm standing still. And if I'm not in the tent anymore, (laughs) if I'm not in the tent anymore, that wasn't up to me. Yeah, and that's the way I feel. Like, and and then people will say, "Oh, well, then you guys are now liberals." What? No, I'm standing in the same spot I was. They moved the damn tent. But okay, so as we finish up on Ted Cruz, though, so the group chat again. How mad are you? So, what does this mean for people in their group chat, though? I mean, seriously. So do people in her group chat really not like what she did? Like who sold her out is the question. You know what I mean? Like who sold Ted Cruz out with this group chat thing? I think it was a husband. I've been thinking about it all night. And I think, I think one of the, because if it's, I'm assuming it's all women in her group chat based on the title yeah. of, the, of the group chat. I'm thinking one of the wives said something to her husband. And because I'm, I'm trying to think of like, Nobody in your group chat should be should be out in you like that. But if Correct. other people have access to your texts, and so I'm not trying to blame a man. I'm not trying to blame a man just to, for the sake of blaming a man. I'm not trying to say that men are more honorable by getting this out to the to the media. I've certainly I think there's different ways you can look at leaking information that was not intended to be public. Um, but I that was my I thought about it all night long, and that's my current theory is that one of these women's husbands took the phone, screenshot it, leaked it to a reporter, and uh, and did, did, didn't even give the women in, in the group chat uh, yeah, but why, a choice on it. That, that, that's the thing. That, I think the why, though, is important. Because why would he do that? Because could he be a person who voted for Ted Cruz and still be like, yo, nah, he, he took this too far. Like, this is a damn lie. I'm not letting it ride because me and my family are sitting here in the cold in my house and this dude ran away and I elected him at fuck. No, like, like that's what I feel like that, that that's what whoever leaked the, 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 the text, their motto was fuck. No, absolutely not. Teddy boy. My, so in my personal experience, like my, my my wife is friends with a bunch of wonderful women. They're all part of a of a of a large group chat just like this one. And I probably of the husbands of those women or the significant others of those w- women, I probably spend time elect to spend time apart from any couples anything with maybe one or two of them. And so you're not going to know everybody. It, usually, like you're it's not always going to work out that like the, the two, two women meet and then their husbands have to hang out. What was that old Chris rock bit of like your significant other introduces you to another significant other and just pats you on the back and say, Hey, you both like baseball. And then you walk away. Like that's not, that, that's not in my experience. Um, you don't just automatically get close with your spouse's friends. And so I think, I don't think it had to be a matter of whether or not they were, um, 
whether or not it was a political thing or somebody who voted for him and felt spurned. I think sometimes it's just natural not to like the people that you're, <laughs> that your spouse hangs out with. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I, I think that there could be some truth to that too because, yeah, I, I think that that is very, very notable, Ralph. I think that that is absolutely notable. Um, I just want to put out there, all my wife's friends are cool and all their husbands are cool. Oh, yeah? Oh, okay. I, would, I wouldn't dime anybody out if they lied about why they went to Cancun. Mm-hmm. Sure. So in the future, it wasn't me. Sure, Ralph. Sure it was not you. Um, so, oh, the final thing on Ted Cruz is this, dude. Is this right here. So, this, is, you have to laugh to keep from crying. Um, and Ted Cruz clearly looks like Pablo Escobar. He's got the belly, got the gray shoes, the dad jeans, everything. So like social media, this was not a black Twitter doing. This is something that black Twitter would absolutely do if they cared about Ted Cruz. But I thought, I thought that that was the best thing to come out of the Ted Cruz drama though. I, there, there were so many, there were so many, and I tried so hard to ignore them, and and uh, and live with my 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 values at the forefront, and my honor at the forefront, and not kick somebody uh, while they were down. And then someone wrote uh, that Ted Cruz <laughs> crossed the border to get his family out of. Um, harsh, dangerous circumstances. <laughs> And nobody should fault him for that. And if you if you take a look at uh, Ted Cruz's record on on immigration, it was just it, it was just the perfect. Uh, oh yeah, the perfect the, social media post. The funniest one that I saw was, um, oh, would 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 anybody be coming at Ted Cruz saying these sorts of things about a. Oh, I'm sorry. All the people that are saying things about Ted Cruz and saying all these mean things to him, would, would they be doing the same thing if he were a man? Oh. <laughs> all right. Um, ne- next thing up. Uh, radio legend and pioneer Rush Limbaugh died. And we started asking a question. Can you acknowledge Rush Limbaugh's impact without acknowledging his politics because for me I'm a person I've all I've always said that I can separate the messenger like I'm sorry that I can separate the person from their actions so like in sports there are people that I sports hate but I don't actually hate them as an individual person I'm like I hate this person as a sports guy in sports but I don't dislike him like for example uh, Tyus Edney from UCLA, phenomenal person, phenomenal dude. Met him b- before. My wife knows him. Great guy. I don't like what happened against Missouri. Four point three seconds from co- coast to coast, or three point however long it was. I didn't like it. So yes, I sports hated Toby Bailey. I'm sorry. To- well, well, to- Toby Bailey too. But um, but the whole UCLA team. Let's just get it out there. Hated them in general. So Toby Bailey, I mean, not Toby Bailey, Tyus Edney, um, 
the, that's a whole nother other other story that this is going to be funny to people who know my life and know the history because at one because while my wife was in college she dated toby bailey so the fact that i can actually keep accidentally saying toby bailey when it's not even a problem it's funny to me but i meant tyus etney but a little, a little subconscious issue here <laughs> and long long as she didn't date rush limbaugh <laughs> so so can you separate oh okay so Rush Limbaugh is clearly a man who did some, like, he's a radio pioneer. Yeah. Free speech, you know, like making, I mean, the hugest audience in radio ever history period there is. He's made it possible for people like, like me, even, even though that he could care less about a black man on the radio, you know, but his, influence and making this a a very profitable business in some way translated into me having some of the opportunities that I have and things that I do and even the podcast that we do all, all of this. So I can acknowledge him for that while at the same time saying that some of the stuff he said was dickish and, and that I don't agree with it at all. Can you make that distinction? Yeah. So I think, I think, we're towing the line of the old debate. Can you separate the artist from the art? And, you know, this is, this is a tough one because like my, my kids are learning how to play guitar. They're really enjoying the stuff from Chuck Berry. And I'm counting down the days till I have to tell them the rest of the story. Yeah. On that dude on, on uh, you know, um, my kids love, love the thriller album and everything that Michael Jackson was doing from like 84 to 92, all that music. They're so into it right now. And I'm counting down the days that I have to tell them the rest of the story. What, right? What, so whoa, whoa, hold up. What, what is the rest of the story about Michael Jackson? I don't understand. We only got, we only got a few minutes on this show. This is going to be like <laughs> 10, 10 straight days of, uh, I mean, like, can we just, can we just acknowledge that it is, it is definitely different. It is, it, it is a, uh, it is outside the realm of what I can imagine to pay somebody to get pregnant with somebody else's DNA, raise those kids with weird names, and hang one over a balcony. Regardless of any other subject, fascinating dude. A lot to talk about. But my whole thing is. Artists from the art. It's the age-old debate. We're always talking about it. Can you separate the artist from the art? In 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 Rush Limbaugh's case, the artist and the art are the same thing. It's not like having a conversation about Phil Spector and saying, man, he did a great job making the Beatles sound unlike anything we ever heard. And he shot a woman in his house. Right? It's not, it's not the it's not those two things are not related. You know? Yeah. Rush Limbaugh made his way being bombastic, um, sometimes comedic, sometimes serious, um, saying things that were um, culturally insensitive, racially insensitive, and often meant to make people feel like we were in the midst of a culture war. Like that's the if then that Rush Limbaugh needed you to buy into. To be, and, and a lot of people say that a lot of the people who are criticizing Rush Limbaugh never listened to Rush Limbaugh. I did. 
I did. I listened to talk radio. I listened to literally everything that came on talk radio, regardless of who it was, whether it was um, Rachel Maddow or Mark Marin when he used to work for um, Air America or Tucker Carlson at the time. Voice of America. Uh, Tucker Carlson's dad was the head of Voice of America under um, under the Ronald Reagan administration, and like I've, I've just listened to a lot of radio, and I did listen to Rush Limbaugh and. And it wasn't just the, all the career highlights of the Michael J. Fox thing and everything else that everybody wants to talk about, the Donovan McNabb thing. You know, it, it's not just all of those things. It's that you had to buy into the idea that we were actually in some type of struggle or battle in order to listen to him every single day. He wasn't just a champion of conservative ideals. He spent 85% of his time bashing the way that other people thought about things and when you take in enough of that that becomes part of who you are and your personality as a consumer you are what you eat you are what you hear you are what you read and so a lot of people want to blame rush limbaugh for kind of the state of things and i i can understand where they're coming from i don't get the animosity i think you still have to be a person with values i don't think you go dancing on people's graves or anything like that but i don't think in this case of rush limbaugh you can separate the art from the artist because it was all one and the same so you have to address rush limbaugh in what he meant to you. If you were someone on the left side of the political spectrum, you're going to have a lot to say about him. If you're somebody that's on the right side and aggressively on the right side, you're going to have a lot to say about him. If you're somebody who worked in radio, though, and I have a lot of friends who've worked in radio, some of them are really far to the left, and they've come out with some interesting tributes to him as somebody who enabled them in this business. Yes, so, and here is what Glenn Beck had, and and my, my, mind you, we're not saying Glenn Beck is on the left, clearly. <laughs> so here is what Glenn Beck had to say in his tribute. Just this, just the very beginning part. When I said I owe my career to Rush Limbaugh, I literally mean I owe my career to Rush Limbaugh. Rush Limbaugh came into this uh, industry and he created something brand new. There are no AM radios in cars in Europe anymore so this becomes the age-old debate right because this happens in sports we saw it happen with joe paterno we saw it happen you know in you know in people with harvey weinstein and movies where he actually did give people an opportunity there were some people who greatly benefited and that becomes an internal debate because you're like, wow, I would not have the opportunities if I had, if not for this person giving me a shot. But then I'm like, wow, I don't like things that this guy did or this lady did. So now I'm in a, in a conundrum, right? Yeah. And I remember being in this with my grandfather. I had a good relationship with my grandfather. But then learning some things that happened with him and my grandma, my dad, all of this stuff, I look back at him differently. Right. And I had to make a choice because my, my dad, him, his relationship with my dad got better as they got older. But well, after my dad was a grown man, had kids, all this stuff. And I'm sitting there like it put me in a debate because I was like, yo, how do I. I, because I love this dude, I have all positive experience with him overall. 
But then I know the things that he did. It, it's it's kind of like if you're a white person now and you find out that your grandparent was like a super racist and you're not. And you're just like, God, I loved him. No, but why? Why did he have to do that? Like it puts you in a, a debate and you have to choose to say, all right. I will either just acknowledge my experience with him and just shut everything out. Or you have to be able to, to take both into account, if that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. So I see, I see you're kind of saying that like that, that, that people on the right should at the very least be able to see that some of the stuff that he said was uh, objectively distasteful, if not hurtful, um, and, and they should be able to look at those things and say, yeah, he might have been a champion for my cause. He might have been a lead blocker for my cause. But these are some of the things that we can't have in the movement if it's to be sustainable. The one problem with that for a lot of people who are conservative is they fully believe if you give anybody on the left an inch, they're going to take 10 miles. So people are really hesitant to admit that some of the things that Rush Limbaugh may have said or done uh, were were incorrect or hurtful in some way. I will say this, though. There are concrete examples. Rush Limbaugh in the late 1990s was one of the biggest advocates for very harsh sentencing when it came to felony drug violations. And then when he only ended up with probation for doctor shopping, collecting opiates, popping pills, uh, and, and, and living the life of an addict that we've seen so many people struggle with and live over the last 20 years since opiates became a really big deal, you know, he, he never pushed back on that idea that he only got probation. When it affected him, he, he, w he was glad to not spend 20 to 30 years in jail for trafficking in illegal narcotics and for stealing and for lying and for forgery and yeah. for all of those things. These are things that he actually engaged in. You, as, as a conservative, you should be able to look at that and say, like, I, I would hope I would have hoped that that's something that he would have been able to learn from, then turn around and advocate for for people because those things aren't necessarily exclusive. Yes, yeah, because yeah, especially because li like there there's a giant movement within conservatism of libertarianism that believe that that uh, addiction should be and should have always been treated as a public health issue. Yes, as it should, but the and this is where sometimes black people have an issue with when they talk about the opioid crisis they're like oh it's a human it's a it's a crisis oh really crack was a damn crisis too in in the 80s but instead of treating it as addiction you look down on these people because they were black or 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 latino or whatever it is and when he said things like oh let stupid and unskilled mexicans do that work Women still live longer than men because their lives are easier. The NAACP should get a liquor store and practice robberies. We need segregated buses. If people of any race should not have guilt about slavery, it's Caucasians. I, I mean, feminism was established to allow unattractive women easier Again. access to the mainstream of society. I remember that. That was when he pushed a few times to get ugly women on the air. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and, and, and that's just the the tip of the iceberg. So, so then becomes the question of when people die, right? 
How should we honor their legacies? Because when you go to somebody's funeral after they die, nobody ever says or rarely says the bad things about that person. It is only a celebration of the good things, no matter how crummy of a person that the person was. So in when somebody dies, should we, and, and mind you, I faced this when, um, when Kobe Bryant died, who is means so much to me and people immediately brought up, Oh, his, the, the rape case, all of this stuff. So which should it be? I mean, so how should you be, how should people be handled in death? Yeah. I think that, uh, the one thing that we should probably avoid doing is telling people how they should handle it because there seems to be that just temptation to step in and say, you need to think this way. You need to do this. You, you need to consider this. Um, or people trying to shape a national narrative or something like that. It all seems like wasted energy. You should be able to look within yourself and say, how, how am I addressing this? How am I looking at it? And I think that it's important if you are a person who follows a tradition or a value system that includes accepting grace in your own life, then I think that you should consider giving it. I think that if you're somebody whose value system includes forgiveness and letting bygones be bygones, I think that that's something that you should exercise. I think that if you're part of a value system that believes in in in, in accountability and, and accounting of things, I think that that should be part of the way that you process things. Nobody's ever going to be perfect in the way that they go about this, but I think that you know, it's really an individual responsibility. We're in a weird situation in which anybody who is a celebrity is going to be subjected to extra scrutiny and in sometimes, uh, or in some circumstances, uh, basically idolatry and hero worship. And that's one of the things that I really respected about, like Dolly Parton came out this week and said, hey, I see that you're trying to erect a statue to me. I appreciate it. I don't think it's appropriate. And I think that that, that sh things like that should serve as a reminder to say like, Hey, it's really not healthy to be putting these people up on pedestals in the first place. Should Rush Limbaugh have been able to be making $40 million a year over his career because people were just so starved to have somebody lead block for their ideas. And, uh, it, it just kind of, I, I think the ownership needs to be taken by us as a culture to not put people so high up on a pedestal that if they slip and fall off the pedestal that we put them on, it becomes a thing that we have to reconcile or we have to imagine that they're still up there. And, uh, and I don't know, man, that, okay that, that's on it. us. Well, that's a, that, that's a good point that you can still stand on your ground and still say, all right, that person fell, fell off. We don't even like that. What they did was wrong, but we are still standing on this because we feel like that this is right. And we never do that. We, we, it, it feels like, it feels like we collectively neglect to do that for so many people. I was thinking about this the other day of like, I know how important, uh, the American sniper, uh, Chris Kyle, was that his name yeah. is, it is to a lot of people who are second amendment advocates and who are conservatives, but you have like, you have to take into consideration I mean, that dude told a lot of really weird lies, but yep. there are people, there are people who, who, even though those things are provable, they'll completely ignore it because they, they can't 
look at something objectively and not say like, okay, this is a hero. And then you see a lot of people on the left, especially during like the election coverage. And, you know, Brian Williams came back and he was, he was just laying absolute haymakers to the Trump administration and the people that work for them. He's making fun of them publicly. He's doing it on television. You have a lot of people on the left that are just like, yeah, right on. Brian Williams is my hero for journalism, for free speech, for, for taking it to the man, for, for holding the powerful accountable. You know who else lied about stuff like Hurricane Katrina, just like Chris uh, Kyle did? Brian Williams. Yeah, but, but I don't see So, like, pe- people are so willing to accept advocates and voices and lead blockers uh, and champions for their own cause that they will overlook all of the things that make them human. And if we all had a better understanding that, that people can be good and bad, then maybe we wouldn't be so quick to throw people up on pedestals and set them up to fail. Yeah, but the question is then, all right, so with Brian Williams, every single time, so if he realizes that what he did was wrong or or a person on the right, what, what, whatever, if they realize what they did is wrong, are you supposed to bring it up every single time that they make a critical statement of somebody else? Or should they just not go as hard on the other person? Do you, do you think? I mean, because wrong should be called out and just because you have a past, that doesn't mean that you yep. should not necessarily be disqualified from doing that. I think that if you pretend like you never did it, that's another issue. But but if you own it sometimes and you're like, yo, yo, that this person needs to that they are dead ass wrong here. And I know what that's like. And you need to turn away from it like I turned away from it. It's OK. Yes, I just think I, I think that. I think accountability is important. I really do. I I think that the thing about Rush Limbaugh is a lot of the things that he said and did um, came out of the fact that he was allowed to do it because people will say like, Hey, if we reprimand him or hold his feet to the fire for this specific thing, like if we get rid of this dude, then who's going to have left. Right. right. And so you excuse a lot of those things. And, and, and he did have, things where he was held accountable in his career. He got booted off ESPN. Yep. And I remember when he was trying to buy an NFL team, I wrote, hell no, Rush Limbaugh, hell no, because I can imagine playing for a dude who thought these things about me and the people that look like me. Um, Okay. Here's a question for you. Did this change your mind about Dave Ramsey? Because Dave Ramsey is a well-known financial guy. Um, here was what he said about uh, Rush Limbaugh. America and radio lost a great man and a good friend today. Rush's humor, intellect, and passion catapulted him to an American icon. You had to love him or hate him. He didn't give you a choice. I loved him. Few people can be credited with literally starting an industry, but Rush was the Elvis of talk radio. First of all, Elvis wasn't a damn starting shit. It, it, like, he was... <laughs> but anyways um he did it he was the elvis of talk radio he invented it no sorry elvis was a copycat um there will be attempts to fill his shoes but none of us can uh r.i.p to my friend you will be missed so did that make you change how you think about dave ramsey or other people because for me i looked at that i was like oh dave really oh you're throwing all the way in because it was, it said like, yeah, you can either love him or hate him, but 
like as a man who's supposed to be a man of faith too, like how I don't understand how you can say, oh, this man is a great man. You can say I lost a friend. You can say I lost something with without sitting there acting and acknowledge his his starting of an industry. But at the same time, like not act like that that this was a man that was infallible, that was perfect. Like that that's where I struggle with looking at it. Cause I'm like, okay, so what do you think about all like if you it feels like that you liked the things that that he said from reading that. And I don't know if I should read that much into it, but that was my initial thought. Okay. Uh one, I hope I was hoping that you forgot about the the Dave Ramsey thing and, and weren't gonna bring it up on here. I'm gonna sidestep a little bit because I could talk for probably five, six hours on my very complicated feelings about Dave Ramsey and his impact uh, on society. I will say he's done, he's done a lot of good uh, for a lot of people. And I also disagree very heavily with, with, uh, um, with, a, with a few of his uh, principles. So just without even just stepping into the giant landmine of, of, of whether or not it changed the way I feel about Dave Ramsey, because the way I feel about Dave Ramsey is probably a lot. It's probably more than anybody should feel about anything. I got a lot of thoughts. Um, on, on him, but I will say this: I appreciated his statement and his candor, and I get where he's coming from because your the way that you value other people reflects your values. So you could say, you know, as a, a as a Christian, maybe he loved Rush Limbaugh um, because you're commanded to love your neighbor. You could say, as a friend, maybe he loved him because they were friends and 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 work within the same industry and uh and and i understand that as well or you could look at it from the fact that dave ramsey is one of the most successful people in the history of radio and he probably values his work and his job and his place within that and i think you saw a lot of people who work within radio whether it's glenn beck or mark levin or you know a number of other people who who have been within that industry um those are their values. That's one of the things that's important to them is that job. And they look at his success as, you know, hey, job well done. You were able to hold that amount of tension for that amount of years. You were able to keep this industry afloat so that I could exist in it. You know, I think that there's probably a lot about uh, about Rush Limbaugh that Dave Ramsey is incredibly thankful for. And I don't think you have to get to the point where you assume that Dave Ramsey just agrees with everything that Rush Limbaugh um Rush Limbaugh said because if you know if you if you know of or you've ever listened to anything that Dave Ramsey says you know he 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 calls out bad behavior I listened to something from Dave Ramsey the other day where he was talking about all these pastors who have been accused of of misdeeds well he was friends with them and he let them know um hey I've got your back until there's a reason not to and I, I listened to this whole thing. It was actually audio of his that was leaked. So I'm sure he wasn't too happy about it because it was from like a big staff meeting or whatever. But the, his whole thing was just talking about getting people's backs until they give you a reason not to, but then also continuing some level of loyalty, but just not undying loyalty. So he is actually a man who can discern between these things. And I'm sure there's plenty of stuff Rush Limbaugh said that Dave Ramsey felt was not representative of 
loving your neighbor. I, I, I guarantee you, if you had a conversation with him about that, that's what he'd say. But people who don't know the situation are just going to read that and be like, anybody who says anything good about Rush Limbaugh must have agreed with him making fun of Michael J. Fox. But and that's the problem in life, right? That if you yeah. throw in with somebody on one thing that they think that you threw in with them on everything. But th- that yeah. was my initial thought. Then I had to retrain the whole thing. because. But I did have questions. Um, now it is time for our social media Best of social media. Um, Here it is. So we're going to start today. Ralph has not. I sent this to Ralph, but I don't think that Ralph watched it. Here is a clip from uh, Steph Curry after the game the other night uh, when he hit the game winning. Well, the, the dagger shot. He had two threes at the end of the game. I forget who they were playing against. And it was fantastic. Vintage Steph Curry. And here is his press conference. You should tweet a dagger. How often do you guys talk after games, and what's that relationship like after a big win like this? That's my wife. We talk all the time. What do you well, mean? I, well, I, mean yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, how late is she up? I mean, well, yes, that's. I yes. hope she's the first person I call after yeah, games. I mean, I mean, her being awake at like you know late hour. You're getting home kind of late, right? It's the utmost support for sure. I mean, you got to try to get me in trouble over here. No, 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 no. <laughs> What was your thought on that? Oh, man. So (laughs) one of the primary jobs of anybody in media is to be able to ask questions. And I will tell you, and and most people already know this, people are so bad at it, so incredibly bad at it, and so incredibly awkward. Those post-game press... uh, Uh, scrums are already weird enough in that as a media member who is probably making a a, a rather non-competitive salary who wanted to get into sports because it affected you in some way you're already in the presence of these giants these heroes trying to have informal conversations with them and not coming off as a complete dweeb so there's already like a level of weird anxiety in it for a lot of uh for for a lot of reporters um but also the people are just in general are very bad at asking questions. A lot of people ask multiple questions in press scrums instead of just one. A lot of people don't know when to stop talking to just shut up and let the other person talk. A lot of people ask yes or no questions or they make statements in the form of questions or they don't leave things open-ended in order to get a, a good answer. I would say that being a reporter is just like anything else. You have some people who are very, very good at what they do and some people who are just not there yet. And this came off, and I'm reacting to it by seeing it for the first time. This came off as somebody who is single, who is bad at asking (laughs) questions, and who was in awe of being in a situation where they were talking to Steph Curry in the first place. Everything about it was corny, unprofessional, and weird, but I can't fault them because I've been in those situations and I get it. Um, but God damn, what, why are you asking about some, and then why are you following up and making it a weird sex thing? (laughs) Stop talking. Just stop. (laughs) She tweeted dagger. So what is it like at three in the morning when you get home? Do you give her the dagger? Like, that's what I, (laughs) that's what I heard. I was like, somebody get, give that guy the hook, get him out of there. Oh my gosh, dude, that is absolutely crazy. Um, the 
<laughs> Here's the next thing from social media that we can all relate to on some level. You see Damian Lillard, he's sitting there and he's trying to put a so if anybody is if you can't see this, if you're listening on if you're listening to it instead of watching it, I'm gonna play it again for those who are watching. So Damian Lillard has a headset on with a microphone, very similar to what Ralph is wearing right now. And in the press conference after the game, the post-game press conference, he's trying to put his mask on, but he's already got the damn headphones on and the microphone on. He's trying to put it on over, and he just gets exasperated. He just finished playing a basketball game. He's not, you know, he's razzle-dazzle. He may be thinking about he's got a Texas wife, he's got a new little baby, whatever it is, and he can't get it on, and he just quits. He's like, I give up. I give up. And it was hilarious to me. I just thought that this was very apropos for mask wearing. So we had a question. What what's the most awkward thing or the most troubling thing or the most difficult thing with with you wearing a mask? I w- oh, so I, I'm like everybody else. I've done the like you're walking into the store and then you realize you don't have one on. Turn around and you walk back to the car yep. with your with your head down. Um, I would say I'm a glasses wearer. And so like the, the amount that they fog up has been really frustrating, but the number one thing for me that's become an issue that I'm frustrated with is I got kind of big ears. Um, and they, (laughs) but they're, it's not like basically putting a mask on is turning me into Andrew Siciliano. Right. Where like my, because he because he has like a little bit larger ears that are outward facing and there's nothing wrong with it but like my i already got kind of big ears and the masks tug at the back of your earlobes a, a little bit and so it's just it's facing them out and so i i'm walking around like looking like this with my ears just out to the yeah to the side like that so that that part of it i'm always real self-conscious when i look in the mirror and i see my ears sticking out just that millimeter more and I'm catching extra drift and wind as I walk around. I don't like it. <laughs> so for what about me, you? The biggest hazard for me wearing a mask is the baby. Cause we have a baby who's one in a who's 21 months. If you're carrying him around, he's ripping the mask off your face. He's like, you you got him up there like you normally carry a baby, and he's just pulling at your face, and then your your mask is off in the middle of a store, and you're just like, bruh, like <laughs> everybody's staring at you, but then they don't judge you because you're holding a baby. So they're like, oh, okay, I understand, but they're still like, uh, get your damn mask back on quickly, though. Um oh, um, part there was news that broke while we were on. So we we don't have to really di- discuss it too much, but one Johnny Damon, and I love how they say that they say Trump supporting Johnny Damon, former Red Sox and Yankee. They're like, what does that have to do with it? Anyways, he got arrested for a DUI. Point two, he blew a point two nine. That's a lot. That's a lot. <laughs> um, and and also Kim Kardashian has filed for a divorce from Kanye West. Man, see, that's just, he couldn't, I I don't know if you're going to get, it, it gets cold in Cody, Wyoming. I, I, I never really saw it working. You need a big girl. You need a big, big girl to keep <laughs> warm in Cody, Wyoming. 
I got one last social media thing for you. Uh, since you surprised me with one, I'm gonna surprise you with one. You talked about baby being all over your face and 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 uh, and and everything. Um, so I just sent it to you in your DMs, uh, and 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 we'll see. I, I want to get your reaction to this video. I guess this guy works for ESPN, and his wife was trying to um, to to get him to take like a center of gravity test, and she was yeah. filming it. She tricked him into falling on his uh, falling on his face in front of the camera. Uh, but there's a little bit of a, of, of an extra thing there that makes it kind of a heartwarming, uh, video. So I just wanted to get your reaction to it in real time. Okay. I, I haven't seen it yet. So, but I am downloading it now and I'll put it on a uh, here, but in the meantime, though, I got a question for you guys as, as well. Uh, cause we had a couple more things on social media, which way is the right way on these swings? Because, I was at the park with my kid this morning and I put him on the swing and my kid is the one on the right. Uh, one of those swings has got the chain in the front for the little kids. And, and it's like a full back almost. And the other kid, the, the, the little girl has her feet through the loops of it on the other side with the chain on the backside. So Ralph, which way are you properly supposed to put your kid in one of these? Are there leg holes on the opposite side of the chain that goes across? Yes. Or or, or just holes in general. I don't know if they're leg holes. But on the ones that have it all the way around, they're used as leg holes. Right. Right. So the ones that are, it's, it's like a rubber material, right? Like a Correct. swing. It feels, feels like an old used like tire, um, those swings at the park. So what I'm used to is you have the, it goes all the way around and then there's leg holes in it with like a, a very clearly you put your butt on yeah. uh, one side, but at the parks by our house, they've got leg holes on both sides. Yeah. So it's interchangeable, but you're talking about the one that has the chain that comes across it kind of a, like an older playground deal. You don't see yep. a whole lot of them anymore. I think that the chain is supposed to be in front, but when I look at the picture that you posted of the chain going across the back, it feels a lot like it would be a lot harder to fall out of the swing that way. Oh, they can they can slip out butt butt first. But they definitely look like they could slip out feet first with only the chain going across. Oh, I've I've had that that happen in life. Where but 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 doesn't that feel uncomfortable for your kid to have the chain on their back while they're swinging. Yes. Yes. So, okay. So I see what you're saying, but it definitely looks more dangerous with it in the front. Um, and then when you, you got a little, little kid, sometimes they don't know to hold the chains to their side to keep themselves scooted back in the chair. So if he, if like your son in that picture is holding the chain, you swing him once he goes through. No, unless no, no, he got no, like no, real. No, no, when 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 he's actually swinging, he's holding on to the to the vertical to the sides. Okay, yeah. All right, I, well, I can see why they got rid of those. <laughs> <That's> all, <I laughs> all right, the 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 last one up. Well, the the next last because Ralph brought a new one is this thing from Cardi B. Don't make fun of me, guys. But will don't make fun of me, guys, or I will have a very depressing, lonely night. But what does 4K mean? <laughs> so how old were you, Ralph, when you learned what 4K meant? 
I mean, I'm, I was probably like anybody else. I was walking the aisle of a Best Buy, and someone tried to convince me to buy a new TV that I didn't need. That's so. That was the first time that I heard it. it was uh, well, like two, three years ago. TV shopping on a Black Friday. So I, um, it's literally four thousand pixels. Like that's what it is. I didn't even know that. I just thought it meant clearer television. <laughs> I thought it was like 4G and 5G. Like the higher the number, the better it is. It th- that is true. Like there are 5K TVs out now, even though there's okay. no programming in 5K yet. Except for that CBS sideline camera, it feels like. <laughs> Dude, that thing is one. absolutely awesome. They have them on CBS and Fox now. All right, so um, okay, so what is one of the things that you had no idea about that you just learned about? Um. I got a good one. When you and I were prepping for the show, I tried to explain to you this and you didn't know what it was either. And it's the best I've ever felt because I've been feeling ashamed for like 20 years. I started going to church like 15, 16 years old. And every winter, the word Advent would be everywhere. It would be everywhere. And they would talk about it from the stage and they would say it's Advent season. And I remember like, okay, like eventually I'm probably going to understand this just based on the context alone. Um, cut to 19 years later, this is like last year, uh, my wife who like sings in church and uses the word all the time. You I didn't turned even her, ask her? No, because, because that, so that's just it. Like imagine asking somebody what something means that they've said like all of the time for the last decade and a half. So I didn't want to make her feel like I don't ever listen. It's just, (laughs) and then here's the other thing. I could have looked it up at any point and I just never did because the only time it ever comes up is at church during a certain time of year. Yeah, And then you forget to look it up. So I did not know what Advent mean meant until last year when I just, I finally looked at my wife and I was like, Hey, please don't laugh at me. Please don't think I'm stupid. What is this word? And she did not do the first two things that I, I requested of her. Uh, <laughs> and that was what I was afraid of the entire time. But then I was just like, all right, please don't tell anybody. Because it, it literally just means approaching. Advent How means approaching. you not know what Advent meant? I, I just, I told, you told me you never even heard it before. Dude, how do you not know what Advent means? Oh, so now you're turning on me. I no, I don't no, know. No, 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 I'm no, I'm joking, dude. I I've never I even feel, heard that I feel fence in my chair. <laughs> I haven't even heard anybody never? use the term never. I do not remember hearing the term advent and 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 mind you. Aside from the pan, pandemic, I'm in church probably 75% of Sundays or Saturdays. That's wild. That is wild to me because I, I hear it all the time. And you've never—you're telling me you've never even heard the word. Yes, and my and my church even puts on a damn uh, like a pageant the, or like the, a no, no no the uh, like like a passion play every passion week. play. I'm a, yeah, I'm a passion plays. Yeah, I, mean, I it's a big production. Like they have you buy tickets all it because it, it seats like three thousand people in the. Uh, in the thing and it's built to for concerts and all this stuff. My mind is blown right now. Like you've never heard the word. And I spent the last 20 years hearing the word all the time and not knowing what it meant. And then being afraid to admit that I didn't know what it meant. All it means is approaching by the way. So it wasn't even like something like when it got explained to me, I was like, that's it. 
So it doesn't mean anything. You could have just said it's the approaching season. You didn't have to come up with a new, with a new word to embarrass me. <laughs> All right. Uh, that was social media. Actually, hold up. Here's, here's the video that Ralph wanted me to play for you guys. Start like this. So it's a husband and a wife. You guys and I'll post okay. it in the um, elbow, elbow. In the description. Hand, hand. At the same time or one at a time? How did he not notice that she leaned back before she did that? She got him to be on all fours, put his hands up underneath his elbows on the floor, up underneath his chin, and then take his remove his elbows, and then he fell face first. How did he not see her save the baby's life right before? Like, how did it not register with him right in that moment of like, oh, why is she not letting the baby continue to crawl? Yeah, because I'm gonna fall on my I'm gonna fall and knock the baby out. Um <laughs> Okay, so that was the best of social media. Um, in college basketball, there's been a scandal, a controversy, and it started in college football when you had players opting out, opting out of the season and going directly to the NFL draft. You have people doing it in the middle of the season, before the season, all of this, and there wasn't as much, you know, like chatter as much about it as it was when Duke freshman who's going to be a lottery pick in the NBA, Jalen Johnson, he quit the Duke team. I didn't like the way he did it. Like, I can criticize how he did it. He just emptied out his dorm and just left. <laughs> he didn't go talk to Mike Krzyzewski, who was like, we should cancel the, uh, who canceled the rest of the non-conference games, was like, well, we can cancel the season if y'all really don't want to do this. Like, so he would have understood. So I didn't like the way he did it. But I have no problem whatsoever with him quit. Well, with him leaving for the NBA draft when he's going to be a lottery pick. But I do have a problem with the people criticizing this kid for leaving. I think that that's just bushly. How are you going to be begrudge a kid for leaving college to go get money in the middle of a pandemic? Instead of putting himself at risk at all, while he understands that none of those people criticizing him are going to give him the millions of dollars that he's going to earn from going to go be a professional. I don't understand it. And the people who are usually criticizing are the people who are already making money, like other coaches, like Jim Beheim, who said, um, who said that guy was hurting them, so they actually are much better now without him. He was just doing some things and keeping other people from playing that are good. They've had a two-monster win since he opted out. And I'm like, why are you speaking on a kid that ain't even on your team? Like, in, in that strong of terms, because you clearly don't like the fact that he opted out. Like, just shut up. Like, you aren't going to give him the, the, the money. So let him make his choice, Mr. Millionaire, Mr. My checks are guaranteed even if I even if I get fired. Like it, it was super lame to me. Yeah, I I agree. 
Um, I don't really have that much to add. I, I will just say that it's an internship and the point of the internship for, and not for everybody, for some people, some people are in it to play college hoops. Some people are just in it for the, 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 the deal that comes with playing college hoops, which is getting your education paid for. Right. So, but some people, some people, it's an internship so that they can go and get the job that they really want. And because of the rules and the, uh, the collaboration between the NCAA and the NBA, um, in order to keep kids out of the league so that GMs aren't making mistakes by being poor evaluators of high school talent. They're saying we need this one year gap and it can come in college or it can come anywhere. But for people who are that top tier, who are top 15 high schooler every single year, they know they're going to the NBA. They just have to pick and choose how they're serving this six to eight month internship. Right. And that's all it is. That's all it is. They're not actually there to play college basketball. This is just the step that the NBA has put them in position to need to take. It's one of a few available steps now. Jalen Johnson chose to take that step at Duke. He chose to do so because Coach K probably told him, this is going to be your best bet. We can get you the most uh, notoriety. We can get you the most name recognition so that when you go into the NBA, you know, we might not improve your standing as a, as a, as a draft pick. If you're going to be number four overall, you might be number four overall, regardless of whether you go to the G League or Europe or any other college. But what we might be able to do at Duke is give you the brand recognition to be able to cash in on your name, image, and likeness once you're done here. That's it. That's all it is, is an internship. And so for people to, for, for people to be criticizing somebody who, who is only serving an internship as an impediment to the job that he is already qualified to do, then I would just say that any of your complaints are more about you and your feelings than anything that he's doing. You can also be a quitter. You can also walk out on your team. You it you know it's not mutually exclusive to where you are uh, making the best decision for you and also not being the best teammate. Like those two things can go hand in hand, and maybe they do in this case. But the question I have for you, George, is John Rothstein. Um, he came out and said that the reason that he calls this quitting is because the process already started. Someone who opts out, opts out before the start of a process. Somebody who quits, opts into the process, and once the process is going, steps back out. That Not my explanation, that's John Rothstein's explanation, and I'm interested in what you have to say about that. Um, if you start something and you realize it's a bad idea, do you continue forward? Or if you figure like we're in the middle of a pandemic, like that changes things. Like if that's like if Carl Anthony Towns was like, yo, after he got COVID, because he did have symptoms and all that. If he was like, yo, I'm done for the year. I'm done for the year. Like I just won't take my uh, salary or whatever else it is. So if you're Carl Anthony Towns and you do uh, that, are you going to, you know, are you then a quitter? No, you're not a quitter. If you're Carl Anthony Towns, no, you're just a guy. You are a man in Carl Anthony Towns who had his mother and six other people in his family die from COVID. Like that doesn't make him a quitter if he says, yo, I don't want to play this year now. That's not quitting just because you started it. Sometimes 
circumstances within it because we don't know what happened in Jalen Johnson's life with his family, friends, any of that. So the idea that he would then be a quitter is stupid to me. Yeah, I mean, and you got people like Jim Beheim out here saying that, you know, speaking on other people's situations, saying the team's better off without him and that he was hurting the team overall. And when you do stuff like that, it lets other players around the country know how you talk about other people when they're not around and their yep. situations and their struggles. So I don't really, I don't necessarily like the idea that everybody who is making money off of these players gets to weigh in on the decision. Coach K already came out and publicly supported his decision. Just let that be that. Yep. I 100% agree. Uh, the last thing that we have up today is Fernando Tatis. Um, Young dude, 22 years old, with the San Diego Padres, signed a 14-year, $340 million deal. What's that, an average salary of like $24, $26 million over the, over the life of the deal? So it looks like a bargain. And mind you, I never begrudge players for getting their bread. But to me, I was like, they still have him under contract without becoming a free agency free agent for four more years. And in his two seasons in the bigs, because of a truncated season last year, because of the pandemic, he's only played 143 games. Like how can you be sold on 14 years of this dude? Like, I know it looks really good, but Carson Wentz looked really good in year two as well. And so like, why is this? I just didn't see it as a prudent decision for the Padres. It may work out. It may work out splendid, even though on the back end of it, the last couple of years are going to be crap probably when he's 36 years old. But me as a Dodgers fan, clearly, I did not mind it. I was like, oh, okay, you you, you all want to play gamble? Cool. <laughs> Hopefully you don't mess this up because I like Mookie Betts' contract better because I know what the dude is. So they, they can have Fernando Tatis. For those type of prices. Okay. Um, I I didn't. I thought we were going to talk about. You know whether or not. Just the idea of this type of contract. Being given out was. Uh, was a good idea or not. And then when I got your message. And you pointed out. Is it too early? That's all I can think about now. Because he, he has only played. In 143 career games. Yep. So not not even a full season. He's got 629 plate appearances and 168 hits. Yep. And uh, and he's got 39 home runs in his first two seasons. And I get that he only played half the season as a as a 20-year-old. Um, and then this truncated season, as you put it, it as, as a 21-year-old. But he's about to be making like 24 million plus sponsorships on top of that for the next 14 years. And I was thinking back uh, for somebody who finished third in the rookie of the year voting as a rookie, what I could possibly compare this to. And then it hit me because I grew up a, um, 
I won't say like an Atlanta Braves fan, but I grew up like anybody else who had like old people in their life who spent their days watching the Atlanta Braves or Chicago Cubs on TV. Yeah. So they were Braves instead of Cubs and they, they would watch every single game that came on and hopefully they would, they would hope for it to finish in time for them to be able to go watch Jeopardy and prices, right? Um, not prices, right. But, uh, but wheel of fortune right after. And that was just the life they lived as retirees. But I remember, uh, in that life as a Braves fan, the thing about the Braves was they were always so good that people who played for their AAA team in Richmond, Virginia, always had a really hard time making the Atlanta Braves roster. Yeah, you'd have to be really, really good to get to get through. And over the course of me watching the Braves with my grandparents, there were very few players that made it. There was like Jermaine Die, Chipper Jones, Andrew, Andrew Jones, Jones yeah. Ryan Klesko, and then at the very tail end, at the very, very end there was a guy named Jeff Francoeur and Jeff Francoeur in 2005 was 21 years old, just like Fernando Tatis was last year. And he hit 300 and he finished third in the rookie of the year voting, just like Fernando Tatis. Okay. And and the next year over the course of a full season. So not a truncated season, his average fell. He batted 260, which is pretty close to the 270 that uh, Fernando Tatis had. Uh, but through his first two years in the bigs, he had 43 home runs. Yeah. And Fernando Tatis is currently sitting at 39 home runs. And I think to myself, what if the Braves had given Jeff Francoeur a 14-year contract right then and there? What would have happened? Because Jeff Francoeur... After that 29 home run uh, season at age 22, he never hit more than 20 home runs again in his entire career. That's what career. I'm saying. And so I'm looking at this. I'm looking at this Fernando Tatis thing, and I'm like, okay, yeah, maybe he came in hot. But what if he's like Jeff Francoeur, who was out of the league by 32 years old, and whose career batting average after hitting 300 as a rookie was 261. And I start to get afraid for the Padres that maybe they overcommitted because you and I originally talked about the fact of like, who is this last five or six years for? Did the, did the Padres sign him for the Braves or the Cubs or the Red Sox, which, or the Dodgers, which big money team is eventually going to eat the rest of these dollars? And then I started to think of what if it's nobody because what if he's not the future? What if he's like oh. Jeff Francoeur? Dang. Because then nobody's going to take that money. That is awesome, dude. Dude, that is so awesome. I'm talking about that on my radio show tonight. (laughs) I'm literally writing that down right now so I do not forget at all. Um, Yeah. So, um, yeah. Ralph, that was absolutely amazing. Um, You guys, thank you guys for listening to Rice or Wrong. I'm George Reister. He's Ralph Ams. And make sure that you shoot a follow, share the podcast, tell a friend about it, all those things. You guys, peace out. Catch you next episode.